evening. First chapter of the first epistle to Peter. Reading from verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto the lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God (coughs) through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness, and through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, for it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That will do for us. <clears throat> the, the reading tonight <clears throat> I 
chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the sojourners scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, if you had picked up one of the sheets, Um, with the questions that were on them. It says that Peter was the name the Lord gave him. He could have used Simon, his birth name, or Simon Peter. And the question was, is there any significance in his choice of the name Peter as opposed to the others? Any thoughts on that? Well, there is significance in that it's the name that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to use. It wasn't something that he had a choice on. The Lord said, this is what you're going to write. And the name and that the Lord told him to write was Peter. The name <clears throat> that God himself had given him the Lord himself. It's unlikely that Peter knew or was known by the people he's writing to. It may be that his given name and his apostleship were necessary to give authority to the letter. Because he reminds the people uh, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Someone sent out by Jesus Christ himself. And no doubt uh, they would have heard of Peter, although they probably had never met him. So it may be that uh, this introduction is one of authority. He doesn't use it in the second epistle. The wording seems to be a little bit softer. Peter is writing to people and a very distressed condition. They're now dispersed perhaps by uh, a thousand kilometers or more uh, from their original homeland. And they're among people who probably resent uh, their presence because refugees in those days were probably no different uh, to the ones that are today. But on the other hand, the Jewish people had been spread all over uh, the civilized world. And they were probably well established as, as business people uh, throughout the area. If you check the references uh, to the cities that were named uh, at Pentecost, uh, these same towns, uh, they weren't towns, they were actually provinces, uh, show up again. How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea, 
and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. So all of these people <coughs> throughout Turkey uh, obviously frequently traveled uh, to Jerusalem uh, for the services there. And so even in the time of Christ, the Jewish community was well established all across Europe, North Africa, Syria, and Iran. And it's likely some of those converted at Pentecost would have spread the new faith as they returned home. The churches that John wrote to were the ones that Paul said had turned away from him. And these were over in the western part of Turkey. So they, by their location and by their spiritual condition, were in no way able to help these people to whom Peter was writing. And a reminder in the notes was to give some thought and prayer uh, to the many and similar situations today. As we think on, on our country where a uh, 20 minutes drive will get you to uh, another evangelical church, if not another similar, similar assembly. Uh, in other countries, that's not likely to happen. Your chances of being encouraged by other believers is slight. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What's the meaning of the term election? Election means choosing, basically the same as it does uh, today. I have a translation of the, the New Testament. Uh, it's called God's New Covenant. It was written by a converted Jew who was a professor um, of philosophy and also of Greek. Uh, he came across a copy of a Greek New Testament when he was in his forties. He had never seen a Bible in his life. But as he read it and he saw the beauty that was in it, it became his study for the next 20 odd years. Jewish background, he looked at it from the point of view of what would the people who received these letters understand that perhaps we, in our language, would miss. And so for 21 years he, he worked on the translation of a New Testament. Uh, 
And in this verse, elect, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He translated as this, Chosen you were by virtue of the foreknowledge of God the Father to be sanctified by the Spirit so that having Jesus Christ's sacrificial blood sprinkled upon you, you may give your allegiance to him. Elect or chosen you were by virtue of the foreknowledge of God the Father. David Dunlap in his book Limiting Omnipotence on election. So the doctrine of divine election is a scriptural one, and when rightly understood, one of great blessing to the believer. For it elevates the majesty, grace, wisdom, and faithfulness of God. Moreover, the whole counsel of God is not proclaimed when this important doctrine is neglected. Election is a, a sovereign act made possible through the infinite grace of God bestowed upon believers alone for special spiritual blessings and service. God chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 and 3 1 <coughs> Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The phrase in Christ indicates that all of God's purposes to those, <coughs> to those in spiritual union with him are brought to pass through the work and worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament word, words that are especially important in this discussion of the meaning of to predestinate, to determine beforehand, and another meaning to, uh, of another word is to elect to choose or to select. The scripture indicate that the doctrine of election is used also in reference to Israel. In the Old Testament and to Christ, the church, the apostles and numerous other individuals in the New Testament. In regard to the election of Christ himself, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is called the elect of the chosen in both the Old and New Testaments. Isaiah announces, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. In Matthew, the writer quotes the prophet, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul delighteth, my my soul is well pleased. It's Matthew 12 and 18. The Greek word here translated elect (coughs) that's used here of Christ is the same word that is used for believers throughout the New Testament. A proper understanding of Christ's election will help us to understand the biblical doctrine of election. Hardly needs to be said <clears throat> that the election of Christ does not in any way uh, relate to him being chosen for salvation. What then does the scripture mean when it speaks of Christ as elect? Christ's election sets forth his preeminence, his worth, his belovedness and his humble servanthood to the Father. Christ's election conveys the deep love and value the Father has for the Son. The scriptures reveal that the words elect or chosen and the word beloved are so closely related that it may be said that they are interchangeable. We see that in the threefold declaration of pleasure of Christ by the Father. In Matthew 17 we read, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. In Mark 9 and 7, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my... Sorry, I missed that. There was a cloud that overshadowed them, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. In these accounts in both Matthew and Mark, the word beloved is used of Christ. When it comes to the parallel passage in Luke, we read, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one, listen to him. Uh, That's taken from the New American Standard Version, uh, but I find that quite a few of my versions, the uh, New English Version and the Revised Version, uh, substitute chosen uh, for the word that we're normally used to. The Greek word here is used 17 times in the New Testament. Is translated in each case by either the words elect or chosen. 
We may say, therefore, that one meaning of the word chosen or elect as regarding Christ and believers is the idea of value and preciousness. The main thought is not selection, but rather value. In other words, it's being chosen for a purpose. Peter emphasizes that when he writes of Christ, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of man, but chosen of God and precious. Again, in a few verses later, wherefore it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. Christ's election does not only denote preciousness, but also preeminence, belovedness, and holy service to God. Regarding the role of Christ's service, the prophet Isaiah explains, chapter 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Lord Jesus Christ was commissioned by the Father to a specific task. The service would involve redemption, teaching, judgment, and in the coming day, to rule and to reign on the earth. In his first coming, this mission was primarily redemptive. He testified, but the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. But in the second coming, his primary work will be judgment and rule. He will bring forth judgment to the Gentiles, till he have set judgment in the earth, <clears throat> and the isles shall wait for his law. The mission and work of God's elect will be finished, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, that God may be all in all. Therefore the election of Christ, briefly stated, is an announcement of his infinite value to the Father and his commission in the world to holy service. John Parkinson, in his book, The Faith of God's Elect, summarizes this meaning in the election of Christ when he, he writes, The meaning and usage of Christ as elect has to do with his preeminence, has to do, <coughs> the preeminence would be the reference as the chief cornerstone in First Peter. It has to do with his service. Behold my servant. And his preciousness. 
to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of man, but chosen of God and precious. His chosenness, and I'm not sure that that's a word, but it's chosen of God, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of man, but chosen of God and precious. And his belovedness, again, uh, it fits the pattern, but Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Israel was also elected. Without question, one of the most significant themes in the Old Testament and in much of the New Testament is the election of Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, we read of the foundation of Israel's election. I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And in Deuteronomy we read, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all peoples that are on the face of the earth. Later in the Psalms, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And in the prophets, But thou Israel my servant, (coughs) Jacob whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham my friend, whom I have taken off from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the corners thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Election is always seen as an act of mercy, and an expression of love of God for Israel. It's for this reason that he redeemed them from bondage and made provision for their forgiveness of sin. Israel has been chosen not merely for her own sake, but an instrument of blessing in the hands of God to the benefit of other nations. What was God's sovereign purpose in the election of Israel? Was Israel chosen so she might receive eternal salvation? Are all those in Israel saved? What do the scriptures teach in regard to Israel's election? At the outset we must say that Israel's election does not denote her eternal salvation. If this were true, then all those of other nations would be eternally lost. 
because they're not elect. This is obviously not true. One might readily think of Ruth Melchizedek in the city of Nineveh as well as others who were saved. What then is the purpose of Israel's election? When Abraham was called, God said he would make of him a great nation. God promised to his seed a land in which they would be blessed with fruitful harvest, deliverance from their enemies, and blessings upon their families. National Israel was chosen by God to be his people, to be a light to the nations, and to occupy a privileged position on earth. Every Israelite was part of the elect nation, but not every Israelite was saved. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that though all passed through the Red Sea and came into the wilderness, many perished because of sin. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Israel's election was based on birth, circumcision, and God's sovereign choice. One could have a proper understanding as being among elect Israel and still be lost eternity, lost eternally. How did one become part of elect Israel in the Old Testament? Were some of the (coughs) descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob chosen to become members of the elect nation while others were passed by? No individual Jews were elected because they were born as national Israelites. Child born to Jewish parents immediately entered Israel's election. A much smaller number entered into Israel's election because they chose to be part of the nation. Ruth did not enter Israel by birth, but she chose to do so. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Those people who were born into Israel or chose the nation of their own came into its national election. In the New Testament, Paul tells us that among national Israel, there were also those who believed in Christ unto eternal salvation. This remnant of faithful Israel, Paul calls calls the elect according to grace. Paul argues that an individual enters Israel's election by either birth or choice. But an individual obtains a right standing with God only by faith. Israel was chosen by God from the foundation of the world to fulfill an eternal purpose. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's Matthew 25. God desired first of all for Israel to be his people and that he might be 
their God. Secondly, he desired Israel to be a witness and a light to the heathen nations. And thirdly, he desired or to copy the land promised, to occupy the land promised to Abraham, wherein she could receive material and temporal blessings. Israel's election was unearned and unmerited. But with this privilege, there was also solemn responsibility. A failure to live according to God's command would lead to the loss of blessing. We have seen thus far that election does not mean the sovereign decree of God from eternity past to select some to eternal salvation while passing over others. Election in the church dispensation, in our dispensation, even as the election of Christ and the election of Israel don't denote election unto eternal salvation, so too election in this present dispensation does not refer to salvation from sin. The Bible teaches that just as Christ and Israel were elect, so too the church is elect. This is a major theme of the writers of the New Testament. We read, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, that you should show forth the praise to him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in Romans, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, <coughs> who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Study in the Old Testament reveals that God chose Abraham and his seed to be his holy people. Likewise, in this dispensation, God chose Christ and those in him, both Jew and Gentile, to be his people. God, through his sovereign will and electing grace, has selected his chosen one to fulfill his purposes, and the church has chosen in him to be his elect people. At once we see beautiful similarities and marked differences between the election of the church and the election of Israel. Israel and the church were both chosen to do a work. Israel was to be the light to the Gentiles and the church was to show forth the unsearchable riches of Christ. The entrance into both Israel's and the church's election was through birth and choice. Those people who were physically born into Israel or personally chose the nation as their own came into its national election. Likewise, those who are born again spiritually through faith in Christ come into the election of the church. In both cases, when a person becomes a vital part of either elect Israel or the elect church, he at the same time shares in its election. But there are differences too. 
Israel's election was earthly and material, while the church's election is heavenly and spiritual. What is election? Election is the sovereign choosing by God before the foundation of the world of those who are in Christ to receive spiritual blessings and a call to a divine work. These and high and spiritual blessings were purposed by God from eternity past for those who were elect in Christ. When a person places faith in Christ, he is numbered with the elect in Christ. He is not elected to be put in Christ, but he is elected because he is in Christ by faith. Paul expresses it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Leading Bible teachers have suggested that this passage in Ephesians contains one of the most important keys in understanding divine election. This passage clearly tells us that election is in Christ, it's before the foundation of the world, and it's unto heavenly blessings. The subject of election in this passage turns on the phrase, in Christ. A leading Calvinist scholar explains the history of the doctrine of election may be interpreted as an effort to understand the meaning of these words. There is election only in Christ. God's election as an election in Christ. Therefore, we may be permitted to assume that our election in Christ is a crucial element in understanding the doctrine of election. What does it mean to be in Christ? Christ is the elected one, based in Isaiah 42 and 1. Therefore, our election is in him. In other words, when an individual comes to faith in Christ, he also at the same time shares in the election of Christ because of that vital relationship the Bible calls in Christ. If the church is elect by virtue of the fact that the church is in Christ, God's elect one, we may be justified including that God has chosen this people to accomplish his purposes on earth. Election is unto service and a divine task. This chosen the people, uh, this chosen people, the church, would bear the imprint of heaven by displaying to a lost world, world the character of Christ. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, 
kindness, humbleness, meekness, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. These I still find difficult to understand, difficult to explain, uh, but nonetheless as we look at scripture, we have to take sides one way or the other. I don't think that we can stand as perhaps I had done for, for many years from the point of view of um, Election, foreknowledge, to say, well, it doesn't really matter. Um, if God is going to save me, he'll save me. If I've got a free choice, then I'll take the free choice if it's offered to me. Uh, the outcome would probably be the same. But it doesn't seem to work that way. Uh, for those who, who firmly believe that, that God uh, will save a person uh, because he wants to, and he will leave a person unsaved because he wants to, is a difficult thing to, to hold. Speaking to a missionary in the, in the islands, I believe he was resident in Jamaica, uh, <clears throat> but traveled around the islands. He said the people had grown up for years, for generations, with a Calvinist turn of teaching. And he said it was extremely difficult to preach the gospel to them. You spoke to them, you showed them the scriptures, and you asked them why they had never accepted Christ as the Savior, because they knew them. He said their attitude was, well, I just haven't heard the call. If God's going to save me, You'll save me. And so they refused to even consider the fact that they had any responsibility and the salvation of their own souls. I know of people, one that I have in mind at the at the moment, uh, an exponent of Calvinism. But Calvinism tends to rob you of your assurance of salvation because of the belief and the perseverance of the saints and that you have to be constantly Proving your salvation. 
And this man, every so often, begins to feel that he's not persevering as he should. He's sinning when he shouldn't. And in his mind, this means that he's probably not saved at all. If he was really saved, then he would persevere to the end. He wouldn't fail. And he goes into a depression that lasts for months. He can do nothing. He can't work. And it takes him a long, long time to realize that uh, no, he, he is saved. But he loses all hope of salvation. He believes that he's doomed, that God has not saved him, and that he is not, never was, one of the elect. And so we have to look carefully at these things and realize uh, the dangers that abound in teaching uh, that people are saved without really their consent. And there are several writers, I didn't quote them tonight, but there are several who, who in dealing with the topic uh, of election, say that election in Scripture is never to salvation. It is only to service and position. So we must be careful. It hadn't been my plans to, to deal with this because I am not a hundred percent competent uh, in these things. But I know what I believe the teacher the, the teaching of, of scripture is. But I couldn't avoid it. It's right there in that second verse. And I thought it would be wrong uh, to try and move around it or move on. So I hope that these words, mostly read, uh, will be of help for, for some who are unsure of just what the election of God is in regard to our position before him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank Thee for the fact that You are supreme. We know that You can do uh, whatever You wish. And we thank Thee that You, uh, by the preaching of the Word, have led us to realize our need of Thee as a Savior and that we have been able willingly to accept thee as such. 
So help us to live in the way that you would have us live, to witness to those around us as best we can, uh, that they too may come to know thee as Saviour. Plant us now with thy blessing, take us to our homes in safety, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.